All right, everybody, Go Be Great, episode 10. I'm back. It's Mike Contento bringing you the Go Be Great podcast presented to you by Hardo Sports. Um, obviously, it's been a long time and kind of want to get into the reasoning behind that we haven't had an episode in three months or so. So I'm going to get right off on that note. Um, then I'm going to talk about mostly baseball this episode. I do have one little NFL thing and it's about my New York Jets. And obviously, if you are well versed in NFL news, then you probably know what I'm talking about. And it has me fired up for the Jets season upcoming. But let's start off with the hiatus. So, uh, my last episode was about April 15th. It must have been the beginning of the MLB season and a recap of the college basketball season, if I remember correctly. Um, now, I wanted to cover NBA and the playoffs, but the more that I watched the NBA and the more I tried to write up an episode talking about the NBA playoffs and stuff, I kind of realized that I didn't know it as much as I thought that I did or enough that I thought I could cover it so that was one reasoning behind you know me not having an episode for the last couple months um at the same time I was kind of going through a tough time and I kind of was keeping everybody in the dark about that I was telling people or you know when people ask me are you supposed to graduate in May uh, from Sacred Heart, I was telling them, yes, yes, you know, I was, but uh, on the inside, I knew that that was not the case. Um, I actually did not go to classes at all during the spring semester. And while I was trying to deal with my own uh, mental health battles by myself, which I now realize is a poor, poor uh, plan of action against that. Um, and I'm looking forward to first of all talking about it with you guys I feel like the more that I have let more people in on what's going on in my life the better things have become in the last couple months um, as well as eventually talking to a mental health professional which hopefully can help me moving forward in my life um, so that would be reasoning number two behind and mostly the reason behind why I have not dropped a Go Be Great episode. Um, I'm definitely excited to be back. I've been kind of writing and thinking about coming back for the last two or three weeks. And with my schedule, it's been a little bit tough. But today, uh, I decided to really tr and think just going forward. And I, I know I talked about this earlier on in, in some Go Be Great episodes that I did a lot better when I was scheduling things in terms of when I would record and I'm going to definitely be trying to do that in all facets of life. So we started off this week with a schedule for what I would do this week. And I had it uh, very important on the list is that I wanted to make this comeback. So to explain my busy schedule um, last summer, I worked a radio broadcasting internship for a college baseball team in the Atlantic Collegiate Baseball League, who at the time were named the North Jersey Eagles. Now those games are on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday if the teams are home. And so I picked up a hobby, the sport of golf, 
and I work at a golf course on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday in order to put some money in my pocket while I'm trying to chase this dream of being a baseball broadcaster. Um, as well as I get free golf out of my job at the golf course. It's called Soldier Hill Golf Course in Emerson, New Jersey. Um, so not spending money on my hobby is you know another way that the money stays in my pocket at least. So that's pretty good. Um, so I did another summer of that this summer. Um, now the team is called the Bergen Metros. The Atlantic Collegiate Baseball League has been an awesome experience for me. The Metros are 20 and 11. And actually after this podcast is recorded, I will be headed out to Overpeck County Park in Ridgefield Park, New Jersey for a matchup between the first and second place teams in the Wolf Division. So there's the Wolf Division comprised of six New Jersey teams and one Pennsylvania team from Quakertown, Pennsylvania, who is the first place team. So they'll be traveling via bus to Northern New Jersey, uh, probably getting on the bus right now as that trip is about one hour and 45 minutes. I made it last week to go to the ACBL all-star game between the Wolf division, which like I said, six New Jersey teams, one Pennsylvania team, uh, took on the Kaiser division all-stars, which is six teams from Long Island and one team from Staten Island. So they made the trip all the way to Pennsylvania, as did we. And that was a nice little uh, game and home run derby was in that afternoon. I called that actually. And you can catch all of the remainder of the season for Metro's home games, as well as potentially some away playoff games uh, on Mixler. So that's M-I-X-L-R dot com slash Bergen, which is B-E-R-G-E-N. So B-E-R-G-E-N Metros, which I'm not going to spell that one out. I hope everybody could spell that one. Um, so once again, Mixler.com slash Bergen Metros. Um, I will be on the broadcast. I know it'll be too... Uh, maybe maybe I'll have the podcast up before enough in enough time before uh, pregame. So tonight on July nineteenth, seven o'clock first pitch. I will also have Thursday night at seven o'clock when the Trenton Generals make their way up the Turnpike for the beginning of a three-game series, which will conclude on Saturday with uh, a doubleheader starting at eleven a.m. That one is going to be at Breslin Field in Lyndhurst. So the weekday home over Peck County Park, the weekend home, Breslin Field in New Jer- in Lyndhurst, New Jersey. So that is kind of a scope of what I've been going, you know, what has been going on in my life recently. Um, like I said, I'll be a lot more open with you guys on what's going on as I hope to be definitely making a comeback to cover the remainder of the MLB season and then the beginning and hopefully the entire way through of college football and NFL. Um, I'm not going to say that I won't cover NBA next year because I like talking about, you know, the very big topics. And I, I hope that with this podcast, if I start at the beginning of a season that I can learn more about the NBA game because I feel like I don't, know it as well at least as college basketball and then definitely not 
as much as the other sports that I've mentioned. Um, I have no real plan to get into hockey or soccer. Once again, that would be me spewing, you know, ideas and things that I really don't know. Um, and maybe, you know, I'll get into it. Who knows? But for right now, I'd say MLB will be covered. Um, college football and NFL will be covered. Absolutely. And then we will see from there what I do. Definitely college basketball when that starts up again in early December or late November. I think late November has a couple of those invitational tournaments right around Thanksgiving. So like I said, it'll be mostly an MLB episode, but I want to start off with the Jets very quickly. Um, If you were paying attention, you know that Zach Wilson made a lot of headlines over the last week or so. Um, he had an ex-girlfriend comment on an Instagram post saying that he was having intercourse with his mother's friends. Um, meanwhile, that ex-girlfriend is now dating Zach's former roommate, Dax Milne, who was on the Washington commanders, I believe as a wide receiver. Um, so a lot of drama there now for once and finally, the New York Jets are not the laughing stock of the league. People ate this up. They absolutely loved it. Everybody was loving on Zach Wilson on social media and on TV over the last couple of days. So that is good. Now on the football side of things, Zach Wilson came back looking a lot stronger from last uh, last year. And he also got a lot better from his first couple of games. Then he got injured against the Patriots. He missed a couple and then when he came back, he looked pretty solid. And I feel like the Jets did a good job in the draft and in the offseason to the point where I'm not expecting to make the playoffs by any means. But just to have those couple of meaningful games in December, hopefully, would be awesome this year. And, you know, to, to be chasing 500, maybe, you know, eight and nine or nine and eight season would be pretty cool. Like I said, I'm not expecting the playoffs, but. You know, the way that the Bengals got turned around last year, I think there's no reason to not expect your team to make the playoffs now. Like if if they went from being that bad to the to you know a runner up and having a lead in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, then I can at least expect for the New York Jets or hope for the New York Jets to be in a scenario where the games in December are not being replaced by Scott Hansen on the uh NFL Network's red zone or or anything of the sort. So that's really all I have to say about the Jets for now. I thought it would be a little fun thing to open up with, especially, you know, for once, like I said, the Jets having some good headlines and some people outside of their own fan base rooting for them, as well as our own fans. I mean, there's been plenty of times going into the year where And even last year, and I'll say that I was definitely a culprit of this. Like, I was upset that we drafted Zach Wilson. And I wasn't sure that his his game from BYU would translate to the NFL. And I think based off of one one season, I appear to be wrong. But obviously, you know, he's going to have to put together a couple years in a row or a career. But this is the first time I feel like any hope about the Jets is not – you know, just because you're a fan and because you're hoping, you know, I think they can legitimately 
be in some games and be in a couple of meaningful games in December. And that's all I'm really hoping for. So another thing that I've been doing this summer is attending some Yankee games. The Yankees are 64 and 28, I believe off the top of my head. Um, And it has been a good start to the year. There's really no, you know, even though there are definitely some negatives this year about the team, it's not enough that you're, you know, like last year, I think after 80 games or 82 games, we were 41 and 41 headed into the all-star game this year, obviously a lot better. Um, You know, they did have a tough week leading up to the last series against Boston where they took the final two of three games in that series and went into the all-star game with a series win and two absolute blowouts of the Boston Red Sox. So that was pretty good. But, you know, the couple of negatives, I guess, are Joey Gallo hasn't been good. Uh, Luis Severino, unfortunately, injured. And, you know, there was that one little two or three week stretch where between the bullpen and some of the starters, you know, the pitching really didn't look good at all. But Yankees have the best record in baseball, so that's good. I'm going to get into them a little bit more uh, in the middle of the episode. I just wanted to start off by saying that I'm 5-2 and two in games I've attended this, this year. I've attended eight Major League Baseball games, seven of them Yankee games. So I went to the Vladdy Jr. three-run home run or three-home run game in April. So at least, you know, if they're going to lose, something cool happened for the other team. I'll respect that. Uh, and then I went on a little bit of a run of some cool games that I've attended. So uh, Jose Trevino had that walk-off against the Orioles back in May in the 11th inning um, on the day of his dad's birthday. And, ob- and, you know, Jose Trevino has been an awesome story for the Yankees, but that personally skyrocketed him up on my list of favorite Yankees. And at the time they were splitting time between uh, Kyle Higashioka and Jose Trevino. Now Trevino, clearly the starter of the Yankees at the catcher position and one of the fan favorites and an all-star. So um, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, You know, not many people know, or I guess if you do know me personally and are listening to the podcast, of course you do know, but if you're just a listener that found me somehow or some other way, uh, I lost my dad and he was a big Yankee fan in 2007. So uh, the fact that Jose Trevino also lost his dad and he was a big Yankee fan and that he was so emotional after the game, uh, that really was special for me. I remember watching that video the next day and kind of being pretty emotional about him just talking through that. And uh, so that was an awesome game. The next game I went to was uh, the Astros game. I believe it was a Thursday night in June where uh, a couple of three-run home runs early on in the game, one by Jordan Alvarez, one by Giancarlo Stan in the first, so that made the game 3-3. Someone else hit a three-run homer. I forget who it was, to be honest with you. And then uh, going into the ninth, six down 6-3, Aaron Hicks hits a three-run home run, and then Aaron Judge walks it off with a – double or single down the left field line all I know is he smoked that baseball so that was a win so we were two and one after that next game I went to was against the Tigers that was the game if you remember John Boy 
uh, found out that the Tigers pitcher was tipping his pitches. And Garrett Cole also took a perfect game into the eighth inning. So that was pretty cool. So we advanced to three and one. Then uh, for my friend Spez's birthday, we went to a game against the Athletics. It was a pretty quiet and boring game, to be completely honest with you. Uh, the Athletics lost by a score of two to one. So that was, you know, we advanced the record, but maybe not as cool as the other three ones. So we advanced the four and one there. And then in this last series against the Red Sox before the All-Star break, I got to go with my brother, who was a Red Sox fan, to game number one. And the Yankees lost on a wild pitch uh, in the 11th inning, I think that was. Um, You know, obviously would like to go to the stadium and see a win anytime you go. But knowing how much my brother uh, follows the Red Sox and how much it means to him, to see a game during the season because, you know, he's probably seen at most one game a season from the Red Sox, whether it be if they play the Mets. I know he went to a Mets-Red Sox game back in 2015 when Joe Kelly was a starter for the Red Sox and long-haired Jacob deGrom was just starting to make a name for himself in the major leagues. And now, you know, it's pretty cool to see how things have changed for both of those teams and players. Um You know, he's been to a game at Fenway like two times since then. So anytime that we get to go, uh, awesome experience with your brother, especially. And if they were going to lose a game during that series, I'm glad that he was in attendance for it. So that was all right. Um, And then I went to the 14-1 slaughtering the next day. So that was pretty good. Definitely had a lot of fun at that game. Now that brings me to seven games. The eighth game was back in late May. I went to a Mets Cardinals game that resulted in a Pete Alonso walk-off bomb, which that was pretty awesome. I always like to get to, uh, you know, a couple of games that my team is not playing in just to, uh, you know, take in the sport. I love baseball. Obviously I'm going to try to work in baseball as a career. So that was a pretty cool game. Went to that one with a couple friends, and I'm sure that I will be between City Field and Yankee Stadium at a, a few more games over the rest of the summer. Uh, the ACBL season, my college team, will be finishing up the last week of the season this week, and then it'll be the playoffs. So at ma- you know maximum, it would be two more weeks. Uh, I'll be in, likely in New Jersey because I'm not really sure what my plans are to finish school just yet. So I could be headed back to Sacred Heart, which I hope that that would happen. But in the event that it doesn't work out like that, I would be looking to transfer to a school where I could live at home here in northern New Jersey, which would mean in my free time, could definitely be getting out to a couple ball games. So um, that's what I've been doing. That's how the teams have been looking. You know, at least my team has been looking in the games that I've been at. And so for the rest of the episode, I'm going to kind of first, I'm going to start off with Juan Soto, and then I'm going to talk about the Derby and the All-Star game. Uh, I did release that episode back in the beginning of April, where I chose the team's records and my choices for award winners. So I'm just going to kind of look back at the award winners part and see how I'm doing and then what I would change Going forward, I think in the NL, it's kind of 
I don't want to say that it's already decided because it's not, you know, someone can get injured. Uh, you can have the Aaron judge 2017 second half where he absolutely loses it and, you know, falls to Jose Altuve that year. Um, but I, I'm going to go over that. Uh, I want to talk about war and maybe I'm not really qualified to talk about it, but I thought it was pretty cool that I saw Charlie Blackman uh, basically said that war was not a good stat because it's all based on non-objective things and how it's not fair because it's not, and to my understanding, war is based uh, there's ballpark factors. He was saying that it's not fair because it's so hard to play outfield at cores, but I'm pretty sure that war takes your ballpark that you play in into account. So I thought that was pretty cool. I'm going to talk about that real quick. Then I'm going to talk about the Yankees and Mets because, you know, those two teams seem to be two of the hottest teams in baseball right now. And uh, two teams that could definitely be playing as the last two teams standing uh, in late October. So I'm going to talk about them. Um, and that's about it. So we'll start off with Juan Soto. Uh, the biggest news probably in the major leagues that has to do with one player. Um, Juan Soto is one of the best young players in baseball. I believe he's 23 years old. Um, he just won the home run derby last night against Julio Rodriguez, another young player, I believe 21 years old, both of them from the Dominican Republic. So pretty cool for that nation to have, you know, two of the best baseball players alive and definitely two of the bright young stars in the game to be, uh, you know, representing their country like that. I thought that was pretty cool and definitely saw the Dominican flag flying after Juan Soto uh, won and took his post-game or post-derby interview. So he got offered 15 years, 444 or 440, excuse me, million dollars from the Nationals, and he declined that. Um, now that's about $30 million a year, just ballparking it. Um, I don't think signing a 15-year deal for a player really makes much sense. I mean, if you just look at the financials of sports going forward, you have to figure that all of these salary caps are going to be going up. I know that they went down last year because of the COVID effect and because of the uh, CBA being renewed this year, but it's going to steadily go up. So if for a 23-year-old man to sign a contract, that would keep him on one team until he is 38. By the way, this team has won a World Series since he's been there already. and when you sign someone to like a big deal like that and you aren't one of these teams like the Yankees, like the Mets, you know, even just say, I know that they haven't spent like that recently, but the Boston Red Sox, the St. Louis Cardinals, a team where they have a lot of money to get more than just the big one player. I mean, look at how the angels have looked, right? The angels sign Mike Trout. I believe it was 12 years and $400 million, a valuation of $35 million per year. They haven't done anything. I mean, this year they started out pretty good, and then they went on a 14- or 13-game losing streak. They fired Joe Madden. 
Then they had a big brawl with the Mariners, so half the team got suspended, including Phil Nevin for 10 games, um, former third base coach of the New York Yankees and now interim manager of the Los Angeles Angels. They're going to have to pay Shohei Otani because, I mean, if they let him walk or trade him, uh, that would be a bigger sweepstakes than this one right here. Um, And clearly it has not helped them win. They can have the best player, but you have to build a team in baseball. And, you know, look at a team like the Rays who has gotten value from players. And even just, you know, look at the New York Yankees in terms of, at least on the pitching side of things, like you can get value from good scouting and getting players on cheaper deals and in arbitration years and going through your system of how you want to approach things I, it's tough to it's tough to win when a lot of your money is going towards one player. On the flip side of that, um, that means that Juan Soto either is going to be dealt in the next two weeks because the August 2nd trade deadline is fast approaching or that he'll stay on the team until the end of the year and then I don't expect him to start the next season on the team. So just a matter of whether he gets traded in the next two weeks or whether he gets traded at the end of the season. Um, I'm not going to go into like which team I think could make the best package for him or which team, you know, he fits in with the best because a, you're going to have to offer somebody who's on your major league roster right now as a part of that deal to trade for him as well as some prospects maybe even taking on a bad contract of somebody so to me outside of the Tampa Bay Rays and maybe the Baltimore Orioles any team who is above 500 right now with a decent amount of money is in the sweepstakes for this guy the Yankees the Mets the Cardinals I mean any team that could possibly sign him and is in somewhat of a race to make the playoffs is a fit for this player. And any team that can sign him should want to trade for him. I mean, he's that good. He was, I don't believe he won the MVP of the 2019 world series when the nationals defeated the Astros, but I mean, he was, was one of the best players in that season. And he is one of the best players right now. I mean, he's having a down season and his OPS is at like 850. So, and it's really not a down year. He's just not hitting for as good average. And I think, I mean, it would be tough for me personally. And I'm sure he might feel the same way. The Nationals are like 31 and 62. They're in dead last place in the National League. Definitely in the NL East. I mean, I think they're worse than the Reds, who started out three and twenty-two. I think they're worse in terms of record than the Chicago Cubs. So they are dead last in the National League. It is tough to get motivated to play for a team who loses. It's simple as that. So you saw in the home run derby, which Juan Soto won the derby and defeated Julio Rodriguez once again, that there were definitely more than just Nationals players. Uh kind of rooting on and talking to Juan Soto during that because they want him on his team. 
you know, you saw Starling Marte getting close with Juan Soto and trying to talk to him during the derby. You saw, you know, there were there were reports in the New York Post where someone asked Garrett Cole what he thought, and he said, I hope we can get him. I mean, like I said before, any team who can offer the contract to him after they, you know, deal up however many prospects and MLB players they can give away for him should be trying to get this kid. He is that good. He's that marketable. Um, and if your team is built to win without him and you can add him, I mean, it's, it's likely that you can make a world series this year and for many years to come, if you keep him on the team. So that'll be interesting to watch. We'll definitely be in tune with that for the next couple of weeks. And then, you know, should he end up staying on the net? And there are also players on the nationals that could also be getting moved. I'm like I said, 31 and 62. So they're not playing for anything. This should be a fire sale for Washington. Josh Bell is having a career year. You can get rid of Patrick Corbin. Maybe someone wants to take him on and try to revitalize his career. I mean, there, there are a few guys there uh, that can, that can get you back some prospects. And then you're looking at a rebuild similar to the Baltimore Orioles, which the Orioles are 46 and 46 this year. And, you know, I think the outlook of them was they are looking to be good in the next two or three years. And now this year, they're only three games back of a playoff spot after a hot little stretch there to start July. So uh, I think the Nationals should be looking to fire sale it as well as getting rid of Soto. But I'm not sure. I'm sure everybody will be offering for him. So I'm just not sure which team it's going to be. Like I said, he fits in with any team. So we will stay in tune with that. Um, In terms of the Derby, Juan Soto wins against Julio Rodriguez. Um, It was cool to see Albert Pujols in it, probably his last season. He is an... uh, honorary all-star this year i'm sure they'll put him in the game tonight as well as miguel cabrera on the al side uh kyle schwarber looked like he had a tough time with the pitching um as did ronald acuna in his round uh julio rodriguez really showed off and you know this is what happens when a guy if you're living on the east coast and the guy plays on the west coast like even i have an mlb tv subscription And I can tell you I have not seen a Mariners game this year. And if I did, it was in April. And I don't think Julio Rodriguez started the the season on the roster. So um, good to see the guys that you don't get to see all the time. And I'm sure for the players, it feels the same way. You know, I think they interviewed Mookie Betts and a couple other guys. that said that was the first time that they had seen him up close in person and that they were really – astounded by you know the way he looked the way he was acting as a 21 year old kid and then he went out there and hit 32 in the first round and made it to the final he also defeated p alonzo in the second round who was the back-to-back champion looking to three-peat so pretty cool for julio rodriguez he's definitely one of the up-and-coming faces and names in baseball and I think the only thing that's kind of stinks about the Derby is the whole 
ESPN broadcast of it, like with the rapid three minute swings, you don't get to see all of the balls leave the yard because the camera doesn't stay on all of it. Um, you know, I think it's going to take one of these guys, unfortunately, getting slightly injured during this event to go back to the 10 outs. I would personally love to see it go back to the 10 outs, as I saw one of the best derby rounds of all time when Josh Hamilton hit 28 at the old stadium in 2008. I was way up in the last section of the stadium behind home plate, so I got a good view of it regardless. But um, I just would like to see that come back because then you get to see the distance of every home run you get to see it fly so do they and then you know it's not a rapid fire three minute swing thing where definitely still was fun don't get me wrong but i would like to see it like that um would love to have seen jordan alvarez from the astros in it but he got injured with about two weeks to go before the all-star break and i believe he had to be replaced as the backup DH for the American League All-Stars, as Shohei Otani will start uh, as the DH and the leadoff man tonight at Dodger Stadium. That game in about four hours from now at 8 p.m. Um, my one prediction for the All-Star game this year is that the with the derb with the home run derby ending after nine innings. You just have to figure this game is going to go into the 10th inning. Like, it's going to go into the home run dirt. It just has to. They wouldn't have added it for it not to come to fruition within the first, like, year or two. I think between however, you know, there's so many good pitchers in this game. Um, And, you know, I think we saw a low-scoring game last year, if I'm not mistaken. This is two years in a row now where a Metros or Eagles game falls on the midsummer classic so i will personally not be tuning in which is why i don't remember exactly what happened last year but should the game go into a tie after nine innings tonight the al all-stars that will be in the derby are ty france from the mariners um as well as his teammate julio rodriguez and Kyle Tucker from the Astros so each manager is last year's world series representative the Astros on the AL and the Braves, Brian Snicker on the NL. And they each stayed in their division with their three picks. Um, On the AL side, I'm sure half of the guy, I I can't imagine that he asked Ty France over all of the names on the AL team. I have to imagine that all of them declined. Kyle Tucker makes sense because Dusty Baker is the Astros manager. And I'm sure it would have been Jordan had he not been injured but Kyle Tucker can really swing the bat as well so that should be pretty fun we saw Julio Rodriguez hit a couple of bombs last night and a lot of them as well Um, and on the NL side Brian Snicker stayed in his division with his own player Ronald Acuna Pete Alonso and Kyle Schwarber so three guys who were in last night's derby so that should be pretty cool like I said my only prediction is that they have fun uh, that it's a good game, and that I bet you that it'll go into the Derby after nine innings because it'll be tied at like 3-3 or something. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. I'm sure MLB is hoping that it does. Um, and so now I will go into my 
how my choices are doing on the awards for the year in the MLB. So on the AL side of things, I chose Shohei Otani as my MVP, Garrett Cole as my Cy Young, and my Rookie of the Year as Jeremy Pena, the shortstop of the Astros. Now, for the MVP, I think there's a legitimate... I don't want to say gripe with Shohei Otani winning it. I mean, in terms of value, right? And uh, and I want to. I was going to mention the war and how it's, you know, an interesting stat. And I guess what they're looking at is: are they looking at war for their for the MVP, or are they looking at everything else? I feel like it's a mix of both. Now, if you're going off of value you have to say that Shohei Otani is the most valuable player in the major leagues, regardless of what he does. If he hits above average and he pitches well, and now he's not going to record as many innings as a Garrett Cole because they're not going to let him go seven innings every game, but he deserves to win it. Now, he is the odds-on favorite. I believe behind him is Aaron Judge, second, and a close second, and then there's a big drop-off. After that, I think it's going to be Shohei still. Um, I'm pretty sure his OPS is at like 850. And he started off the year in terms of at the plate kind of cold. So there is a chance that he can heat up in the last two months and make it an absolute runaway. Right now, he's the the odds-on favorite if you know, you're know you into that stuff. Um, so I'm going to stick with Shohei. Garrett Cole is throwing to a 302 ERA right now. He was my pick at the beginning of the season for the Cy Young. And I'm going to stick with him in terms of why I chose him and why I hope he still wins Um, is because that will help the Yankees going into the second half. Like in the last start that he had on Sunday, he goes seven innings. He gives up four hits, two earned runs and strikes out 11 or 12 Boston Red Sox. I mean, Listen, if he doesn't win it, it'll be because Shane McClanahan is already having a fantastic year. His ERA is a one seven four, and he will be starting tonight's game for the AL. Um, but I'm going to just stick with Cole. Listen, maybe he goes on a run and McClanahan starts getting shelled. I think if it's close, they'll pick Garrett Cole based off of popularity. So right now there's obviously a one earned run average difference. Uh, that's not going to be enough. But if it gets within like 0.3 of each other, I mean, we saw last year uh, Robbie Ray's ERA was 0.5 lower than Garrett Cole, who came in second. So I think if he can get it within 0.3, there would be a legitimate gripe. I don't know what McClanahan's numbers look like in terms of walk strikeouts and home runs given up. I'm sure that Garrett Cole strikes out more than McClanahan, but um, I'm going to just stick with my guy, Garrett Cole, who has been pretty much worth the $36 million this year after getting called out by a lot of Yankee fans, especially after his performance in the wild card game at Fenway last year. So that has been a nice thing for the Yankee fans to enjoy this summer. Um. And then my rookie of the year pick was Jeremy Pena. This is a runaway for Julio Rodriguez, unfortunately. Um, Not one that I saw coming necessarily. You know, I I heard all great things about the kid. And he has been a big driving factor in why the Mariners have 
uh, finished up the all-star break with a 14 game winning streak. Now, Jeremy Pena has had a decent year for the Astros. And part of the reason I chose him is because I felt like with Carlos Correa leaving, Jeremy Pena was going to have the biggest shoes to fill in the American League in terms of the rookies, and that that could help him. He was having a pretty good year in AAA last year. He's having a decent year right now for the Astros. 263 average, 764 OPS, 13 homers, 35 RBI. Um, but Julio Rodriguez is doing a lot better. I believe he has 19 home runs already this year. Um, and he is just one of the faces of baseball right now, not even of just, you know, young players. Uh, 16 home runs, 52 RBI. He is batting 275, and his OPS is an 814. So, Definitely better than Jeremy Pena and deserving of his all-star vote. Um, It was pretty cool to see him last night in the all-star game. I mean, excuse me, in the home run derby. And it'll be cool to see some highlights of him tonight. Uh, Like I said, I won't be catching that game for the most part because I'll be on the call of the Bergen Metros versus the Quakertown Blazers. Once again, Mixler.com slash Bergen Metros if you want to tune in. Uh, I will be doing the play-by-play, and I believe I'll have some special guests as my color this week. Um, and then Saturday, I think I'm going to have those games alone as my normal partner, John Woods, who is a member of the MCBL um, and the DiMaggio Bombers, is going to be in a doubleheader himself. So he will not be joining me for Saturday's game. I'll be alone there. Headed to the NL now, my choices for MVP, Cy Young, and Rookie of the Year are all all wrong. I had Freddie Freeman as the MVP. He only made the All-Star game as a replacement this year. Not because he's having a bad year, uh, more so because Pete Alonso is second in the league, or second in the National League, excuse me, with home runs, and because... Paul Goldschmidt is probably the runaway for the MVP. Um, My Cy Young was Max Scherzer and Seiya Suzuki was my rookie of the year. I think the Cy Young, as long as Alcantara from the Marlins doesn't get hurt, is his to to lose. He is number one in either baseball reference or fan graphs war, uh, as well as like a 1-7 ERA. I think every start he has made in the last 10 or 12 starts has been seven innings or more, which is kind of, you know, it's unheard of in this day and age in the MLB. Um, So Alcantara there on the Cy Young. And then Rookie of the Year, I'm not really sure how Seiya Suzuki is even doing. Uh, I know the Cubs are pretty bad right now. And the Pirates are better than the Cubs, which is pretty surprising in the NL Central. But I'm going to go with O'Neill Cruz. Uh, first of all, O'Neill Cruz in terms of the dynamic and his build and his tools is just such a cool guy. I mean, the long hair is awesome. He's 6'7", 220 pounds. He can run like a deer. Uh, he threw a 96-mile-an-hour throw across the diamond from shortstop in, like, one of his first games. Uh, so far, only hitting 204. 
with a 640 OPS, and I'm pretty sure his teammate Michael Perez would be like the only guy that can beat him out for it. Um, Michael Perez is the catcher, although he's not even having a good year. So maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, I'm going to pick O'Neill Cruz. I think there's a lot of chance for him to get better. And with some low stakes games coming up for the Pirates, although they are doing a lot better than I predicted and then that a lot of people thought, um, I just don't think, I think playing those games that really don't mean much except for to get better for those young, young Pirates that that can really help O'Neill Cruz kind of get into a little run there. And then, uh, you know, he could be the rookie of the year for the NL. So those are my three. Those are my reviews of who I chose and then who I, you know, think it's going to be now. So in terms of I only seemingly have chosen one out of the six right, which would be Shohei as the AL MVP. Um, I think it's going to be McClanahan, but I'm pulling for Garrett Cole in the Cy Young race in the AL and then rookie of the year. Looks like it's going to be Julio Rodriguez from the Mariners in a landslide. I chose Freddie Freeman, Max Scherzer, and Seiya Suzuki in the NL. Looks like it'll be Goldschmidt from the Cardinals, uh, Alcantara from the Marlins, and Rookie of the Year, O'Neill Cruz of the Pirates. So we kind of talked about war. I wish that I had more of what um, Charlie Blackman said to the starting nine guys of Barstool uh, in terms of war and stuff. I I kind of went into it the other day when I was writing it out and I wanted to talk, you know, way before the All-Star game and the Derby was chosen. But like I said, I've kind of been letting my schedule get the best of me. Um, I just, you know, with two sites doing the same equation, and he is right about this, I don't understand how on one side of things you can have Sandy Alcantara leading the war, who is a pitcher, on one site, and on the other site, it's a totally different list. To me, it just doesn't make any sense. Now, there is a whole big equation into each valuation of war because you can get fielding war, you can get base running war, you can get uh, hitting war. You know, uh, it's really interesting to me how this is all like figured out. And um, like I said, I don't necessarily understand it fully, but to me, how someone could have, yeah, here's, so on baseball reference, Sandy Alcantara has a 5.3 wins above replacement. Nolan Arenado is second with a five. And most of, you know, he is one of the best fielders in the league. So no surprise there. Shohei Otani is third with 4.9, right? So the top 10 is Alcantara, Arenado, Otani, Goldschmidt, Tommy Edmond, Aaron Judge, Max Fried, Rafael Devers, Jordan Alvarez, and Manny Machado. I believe all 10 of those players have made the All-Star game this year. Now, if you go on fan graphs and look up their war, I can tell you that it is a different list. Aaron Judge is number one with a 4.7. Now, he is, I believe, sixth 
on the list on baseball reference. Now, how does that end up being a different number, a 0.3 difference between baseball reference and fan graphs? Now, that's a question only they can really answer. But, you know, Dansby Swanson and Jose Ramirez are not on that top 10 list on baseball reference, but they are on fan graphs, as is Freddie Freeman. Sandy Alcantara, who's first on baseball reference, is 11th on fan graphs. So in that way, Charlie Blackman is correct. Doesn't seem to make much sense. I still like it as a stat to put together with, you know, if you're a batter, the OPS and the WRC plus and all that stuff to try to figure it out, as well as the objective statistics that Charlie Blackman is talking about, like doubles, home runs, RBI, runs scored, all that stuff. Um, I'm going to have to definitely look into it more because I think it's a really interesting topic that's only going to keep being talked about because according to a lot of these players and agents, this is what they're being paid on, not by, you know, like I said, home runs, average, OPS, slugging, whatever it is, they're being paid off of war. So we're going to learn more about it as we go along. And I'm going to round out the episode before I have to go head out to Overpeck County Park with some Yankees and Mets talk. So I will start off with the Yankees just because I know I can talk about them off the top of my head. I have a lot more Mets notes. Um, Now, a couple weeks ago, the Yankees were on, uh, I believe it was a game at Fenway that was on Sunday Night Baseball. So it had to have been a week or two ago. Where on the K Rodcast, which is Michael K and Alex Rodriguez, and I'm a person, I'm personally a fan of it. Uh, you know, I've only grown up knowing Michael K on the broadcast for the Yankees, and A Rod was a third baseman for the Yankees from, I believe, 2006 or seven until 2015. They made him retire, so he was there for a bit of my life. Um, And I've liked A-Rod more in the content world than I did as the Yankees third baseman, to be completely honest with you. Obviously, he missed a lot of time due to steroids, which could be a part of the reason. Um, But he was saying to Michael Kay that two contracts that make a lot of sense for Aaron Judge is an eight-year contract where he makes about $41 to $42 million a year or a five-year contract where he makes $50 million a year. Now, he was going off of the fact that when he was signed to the Yankees, the valuation of the franchise was different, and he got $33 million a year, that or $30 million a year. I think it was about 30 So he was saying that because the valuation of the franchise has went up, and Aaron Judge is a main reason for that, being a face of the franchise and one of the faces of baseball, that he should get that money. Now, Aaron Judge declined his contract extension of eight years and $235 million or so, which would have been 29 per year at the beginning of the season. And now they've been asking him recently what he thinks. And he's been saying basically um, that he'd like to stay with the Yankees. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. So that basically tells me that he is going to take the best deal for him now. I think if the Yankees get within two to three million dollars worth per year of the highest bidder, 
that Aaron Judge will stay. I think if there's a big difference and someone really opens up the bank, like the New York Mets, and, you know, blows someone's offer out of the water, he'll have no problem leaving teams. I think the fans of New York would be devastated. But I think at the end of the day, sports are a business. Um, and you have to take care of your family. This has been a kind of a story on the golf side of things, which I definitely would like to cover at some point as well. I feel like I understand the sport of golf pretty well. Um, and recently with the live tour, which has been backed by some Saudi Arabian money, which has called, you know, the golfers, uh, morals into play. Like, I don't know how you can really fault a player for trying to take care of their family when, especially in the golf side of things, uh, the American government and, you know, anyone else really in the country isn't held to a moral standard at all. So why are we holding the athletes to that? Now, do I think it sets a bad precedence in terms of golf to what could happen in some of the other sports? Absolutely, I do. Do I think tradition should be kept with? Yeah, I mean, I definitely like the major leagues to stay around in the way they are for a long time, as well as I think even the PGA Tour, like I, I, I don't wouldn't want to see. And I know the majors are are different from the the tour, but I wouldn't want to see some of these tournaments that get played in every year just be abolished because another tournament or a league or tour can offer the players, you know, three times, four times, five times the money. So. In terms of Aaron Judge, I really hope he stays. It would be awesome. Um, I'm not sure. You know, I think I don't think A-Rod's crazy for putting those valuations out there. I mean, I think Aaron Judge would probably be if if someone did offer him that five-year, $50 million per year contract, I think he'd be pretty crazy not to take it. Um, and we'll see. We'll see who opens the wallet. Um I, you know, I think the best story of the year for the Yankees, you know, there's been a few of them, but I think the best story would be if somehow these two sides came to an agreement mid-season as the team is going down the stretch looking for the World Series. I think that would be, you know, if there's one shadow in the Yankees clubhouse right now, it's that to get rid of that and just be fully focused on winning the World Series and only having the the press talking about that would be awesome um but we'll see what happens the yankees had six all-stars this year pretty cool stories for three first-time all-stars nestor cortez finished the first half with a 263 era um jose trevino finished with like a 260 average a 750 ops the best framing rate in baseball which you know going back to the war stuff um a lot of catcher metrics in terms of how the pitchers work with them and how they frame the ball have been coming into play play recently. Jose Trevino is the number one framer in baseball. So not only is he doing a really good job at the plate, but he has been doing a really good job working with the pitching staff as well as the pitching coach, Matt Blake. Um, Clay Holmes was a first time all-star as well. 
since being acquired from the Pittsburgh Pirates last year. He has been unbelievable. Uh, and I think I read a cool article on Matt Blake today, and it was basically saying how they don't take a approach, you know, a one one size fits all approach to all of their pitchers, how they see what they can work with. They see what they've been doing well and how maybe they can add some things to their arsenal in terms of pitches or arm angles or whatnot to, to make that player better instead of trying to make everyone do one uniform thing. I think that really has worked out for the Yankees. It's very clear as we've seen some pitchers develop new pitches during the season both Severino and Cole uh, going with a cutter this year, as well as their traditional slider. Severino doesn't throw a curveball, but Garrett Cole does. Um, I thought that's been pretty cool. They were talking about Cortez specifically, where he was going with a four-seam, two-seam. And then in the middle of last season, he started going cut fast, you know, a natural four-seam fastball with a little bit of cut, then a real cutter, and then a sweeping slider that has really kept a a lot of guys off balance against him this year. So three pretty cool stories in terms of first-time All-Stars, as well as, you know, obviously you want to talk about Aaron Judge being one of the best hitters in baseball. Well, the Yankees have had for a period of this season, the best hitter in baseball, and it is Matt Carpenter. So Matt Carpenter comes to the Yankees via a minor league deal. I don't know. We signed him to a major uh, veterans minimum contract, I'm pretty sure. Put him on the bench. He came in, and he has absolutely taken the league by storm. He has 13 home runs this season, which is pretty unbelievable um, because – All of that has happened in about, I don't know, 75 or 80 at-bats. 97 plate appearances for Carpenter. He has 28 hits, 5 doubles, 13 home runs, 34 RBI, and his OPS is a 138. It's just unbelievable. I mean... You, uh, I think they talked to Jamison Talion after the Saturday night game when Carpenter hit two home runs and had seven RBI. I was in attendance of this game, by the way. Um, they asked him, how would you pitch to your teammate right now? And he basically said, don't throw it to him. Like, just walk him. Because he said, if you, if you put a breaking pitch in the zone, he will turn on it. If you don't dot the fastball on the inside or outside corner, he's going to crush it. So I don't know how much longer he can keep this up. I mean, he seems to have a really simple approach at the plate in terms of his mechanics. Like he's not doing anything herky jerky like Joey Gallo with his hands before. Like he is very, uh, he's just kind of standing very still. He has a little bit of an open stance. He drops his foot and he has elite bat speed, and he gets his barrel to the ball. I don't think he's going to hit 386 with, you know, 13 homers and 98 at-bats. But if he can do, you know, if he can 
Right now, he has made it impossible to not be a starter on this team. I think right now, if the Yankees were going to play the first game of the ALDS, I think the lineup would have to be including it have to include Matt Car like there is no way that Matt Carpenter isn't the designated hitter of this team. He pretty much said, Josh Donaldson, see you later, buddy. You're gonna be on the bench in the playoffs. Because I think Stanton has played enough right field this year where he's looked good. That you have to start standing in the outfield. It has to be judge and center. It has to be standing right. And then in left field, I think there's a legitimate question as to what to do. Um I, we saw Carpenter in the field. He didn't look that great. I mean, he made some plays, but he's 36 years old. He's not going to move well in right field. Stan was moving a lot better than he was. And, you know, Stan is 6'7 and 250 pounds. So I don't think Matt Carpenter in the field, at least in the outfield, is the answer. I think if you start the playoffs right now, it should be LeMahieu batting first, playing third base. Judge playing center field and batting second. Rizzo at first, batting third. Stan batting fourth and playing right field. Glaber, well, we'll say Matt Carpenter batting fifth as a designated hitter. Glaber playing second base and batting sixth. Then there is the question mark in left field, whether it be Gallo, which, I mean, listen, Gallo stinks right now. I don't think there's any denying that. He is awful. But if Matt Carpenter can come out and have video game numbers after basically being retired uh, last season and spending time in AAA this year before he came up, then Joey Gallo could go on a run. I mean, listen, Matt Carpenter is a lefty with, you know, He's a big guy. He's hitting a lot of home runs. That's what Joey Gallo wants to do, right? So maybe, and all reports have said that Matt Carpenter is a good uh, guy in the clubhouse and that he's willing to talk with all the young guys. Well, maybe he talks to Joey Gallo and he straightens him out. Maybe there's something that Joey Gallo is doing that is wrong. I mean, with the naked eye, it would seem that his swing is too long and that he's really looping around the ball instead of staying inside of it and trying to drive it, he's kind of like all the way out in the zone. And then his barrel's only in the zone for such a short amount of time that it only results in pop-ups and strikeouts. I think if he talks to Matt Carpenter and really tries to pick up some things from his approach, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be, and I'm not saying Matt Carpenter is going to be able to replicate the start of this season in the second half, but, it has to be better than 164 with a 630 OPS. Um, I'm personally not a fan of IKF either. But I think you're not going to replace two starters in your lineup down the stretch. And I think the left field or, you know, I personally have no problem with Hicks out there. I think he's been fine. And I think in terms of defense, he's definitely fine. So if you want to put him out there, I mean, they've kept LaCastro on the roster for a reason, and he just came back from injury, swinging a hot bat, um, hit the ball hard on Saturday in his one at-bat, and then Sunday I think he went three for three with a home run. So 
maybe maybe he works his, his way into the lineup. I don't really know. I don't know what's out there in terms of a trade candidate. I mean, listen, of course, everybody's going to be clamoring for Juan Soto the next two weeks. I don't see it happening for the Yankees. I think I think if you do trade for him, like that's your answer on Aaron Judge is right there. Like he's done. There's no way that you trade for Juan Soto and you're paying both of them. Um, it's just simple as that. And like I said, I'd be a little bit upset if Aaron Judge is not on the Yankees for the next couple of years. But if that's what they want to do, that's what they want to do. Um, so rounding out that lineup, it was the question mark at seven between Gallo, Hicks, LaCastro, and trade candidate. Jose Trevino batting eighth. And I guess if we're going to say IKF is staying on the team for the playoffs, he is rounding out the lineup at shortstop batting ninth. I mean, that's a pretty solid lineup. Um like I said, Matt Carpenter has just made it pretty impossible to not be in the lineup. So um, that was a, one of the best you know, stories in baseball and on the Yankees this year. Um, in terms of the trade deadline, I, I know I just mentioned the two fielding spots where maybe there could be a change. But I think in terms of arms, you can never get enough arms. We just saw with Luis Severino, unfortunately, that he had a latch strain. You never know who's going to go down and who's going to, you know, forget how to pitch like a Rollins Chapman. So I would like to see A.J. Puck, a left-hander from the Athletics, be one of our um, acquisitions. You have to figure that the Athletics will be getting rid of anything that they think has value, as well as Luis Castillo of the Cincinnati Reds. He just came to New York to pitch for the, uh, you know, against the Yankees and had a pretty good performance. Um, I think he has like a 2-9 ERA. He is an NL all-star this year. Um, with Severino going down, Tyone not looking as good in the last month or so. You can just never get enough arms, I think. If you do add Castillo, that would leave one of Montgomery or Tyone out of the playoff rotation and maybe you put them out there in the bullpen um so i'd like to see those two guys now if you remember last year they picked up clay Holmes, someone no one knew and they turned them into what they needed um so maybe there's some random guy that i've never heard of that's about to be acquired and that they're gonna you know work the matt blake voodoo on him and that he'll be one of our best pitchers on the stretch i think the bullpen's been good I think the rotation's been good. You know, we're 64 and 28 for a reason. So there's not really much that needs to be added, but it would be nice to add an arm or two. And maybe if you're lucky, you get a shortstop or a left fielder. I don't think both. I think one of the two. Um, so we'll move on to the Mets real quick and then I will get out of here. Um, In terms of the National League, I think the Mets are the scariest team to face in a playoff scenario. Now, they're definitely going to make the playoffs no matter what Frank the Tank of Barstool says. I know he's a big negative guy, but the Mets are 58-35 and 35 going into the break. That is only 
what is that? Three games behind the the Dodgers at 60 and 30. Now the Braves have obviously been very hot. There are 11 games left between the Braves and the Mets down the stretch, but the Mets just took two of three from Atlanta in Atlanta. Um, and that's without Jacob Negron, like the Yank, uh, the Yankees, the Mets weathered the storm of no Scherzer for a couple of months and of no Degrom this entire season so far. Uh, Pete, as well as Starling Marte, Jeff McNeil, and Edwin Diaz are having fantastic all-star seasons. McNeil's hitting 300. Starling Marte is hitting like 280, playing a great right field. Um, Edwin Diaz has been one of the best relievers in the majors. I think he has like a 1-8 ERA um, and definitely has the best walkout song in the majors. Um, they're also getting pretty good seasons from Francisco Lindor. They're 315 million dollar shortstop. I think that's the number on Lindor. Um, Brandon Nimmo, the center fielder out of the leadoff spot, has an eight OPS, so that's pretty good. Um, Luis Guillorme, who was a bench player up until last year, came in and filled the Robinson Cano spot when Cano was DFA'd and has been having a fantastic year. So that's pretty good. And Mark Cana, since being signed in the offseason, having an average season. So that's good. You know, anything that's average to above average, you got to take that. Um, now, if there's one player that you maybe wish was doing a bit better, it's Eduardo Escobar at third. Um, you know, if, if there's a team that makes me think they could get the best offer for Juan Soto in terms of the contract after they trade for him, it's the Mets. I don't know if they have the best package. I would have to think that would be like the Cardinals. I know the Cardinals have a pretty good farm system. Um, I think, you know, in terms of the money, the Mets can definitely offer the most. They do have to sign DeGrom, but who knows what type of contract DeGrom's going to get after missing an entire season. I mean, the last time he pitched was the last game before the All-Star break last year, which I was at that game. It was a doubleheader against the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, He went all seven innings of that seven-inning doubleheader, which was the MLB protocol last year. Um, And then I think Jose Peraza hit like a walk-off home run in that game. So that was pretty cool. Um, But he hasn't pitched since then. So who knows what type of money DeGrom's going to get. But when he comes back, like if you have to – if you're telling me in a five-game series that DeGrom starts twice, Scherzer starts once, and if it gets to game five, Max Scherzer is up in the pen, and coming out of the pen for the last however many innings. I don't want to face that. If you're telling me in a seven-game series that each of them start twice and same thing, if it gets to game seven, Scherzer's up in the pen or both are up in the pen ready to go, I don't want to see that. Um, There's one position that they really haven't gotten much out of. It is the catcher position. It seems like trading for Wilson Contreras for the Mets is a pretty – no-brainer move. I mean, between their three catchers this year, which are Pat Mazika, James McCann, and Tomas Nito, no OPS over 540. 
Um, I'm not really sure how the defensive metrics look on those guys. I'm sure Nito has to be up there because he was the catcher for the last couple of seasons, like the backup guy. So he, there's got to be a reason he's there, and it's definitely not with no one OPS, no one's OPS over 540. So, um, I think in terms of my preseason predictions, I had the Mets a little worse and the Yankees a little worse than what they are, but I was pretty spot on with the Dodgers and the Astros. I think those would be the four teams I would choose to be in the ALCS and the NLCS in October. I am not going to choose, I think, you know, I've seen the Yankees and the Astros play this year. I think that series could go either way right now. I know that the Yankees have a better record, but, I mean, I don't think that means much. Everybody's record goes back to zero and zero in October when the ALDS starts. Um, And there's a lot of incentive this year to be one of those top two teams, which right now are the four teams I mentioned, the Dodgers, the Mets, the Yankees, and the Astros, because the other four teams, the two, the one division winner and the three wild cards will be between three and six. So the, the one division winner will be three. And then the three wild cards will be ranked via record between four and six. And that's a three game wild card series this year all hosted by the home team uh, or the higher seed, excuse me. So um, right now, those are the four teams that would get the buy to the ALDS. And I think by getting that buy, you definitely get a pitching advantage because you have to use, you know, those three games are three, three days in a row. And then there's not going to be much time before the ALDS. So you're going to be starting off maybe with your best guy first, but then a lot, you know, it's going to be a lot. I think that it is a big, big advantage going forward. And I think those are the four best teams in baseball. I know the Braves have been hot. I know the Mariners have been hot. Um, You know, the, the Twins and the Guardians are duking it out in the AL Central. I'm sure, you know, one of those teams will be exciting down the stretch. Um, the NL, I mean, the, the Giants have a lot of good players, especially they went 107 and 55 last year and pretty much have the same roster composition outside of a second half edition of Chris Bryant, but they're not looking as good this year. Tatis will come back from the Padres. So there's a lot of exciting teams, but I think those four teams are the best. And I think they have what it takes to consistently stay up there and take care of the ALDS opponent, whoever it is. And I I would think that's what we're going to see in late October is the Dodgers versus the Mets in the NLCS, the Yankees and the Astros in the ALCS. And I will not make a choice on either of those. Like I said, I'm a Yankees fan. I would definitely pick them to win, but I'm not going to give you any good reasoning behind why they beat the Astros. They have played two ALCSs in the last five years against Houston, where Houston was the team that had the home field advantage, and they lost both of those series. Now, if the Yankees could stay as hot as they are, they'd have the home 
field advantage in an ALCS against Houston or against any team because they have the best record in baseball. But can't say for sure that I would want to pick that one as a fan of the Yankees, and I think the Dodgers and the Mets would be an awesome series. The Dodgers, I said at the beginning of the season, have the best roster, but the Mets are a very scary team with the idea of having Scherzer and then DeGrom back. And if Taiwan Walker stays like he did in the first half, I mean, he has a 2-5 ERA, that would be pretty uh, tough to beat. So that'll be all. Go be great. Episode 10 is here. It's complete. Uh, I want to thank you all for tuning in. If you, you know played it straight through, I really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to... Let's see. Um, based on my schedule, I think I can put one out on, um, we'll say, I'm not going to put a date on it because the last time I started doing this is when I started to get overwhelmed with everything. So you'll hear from me. It will not be longer than one week. Um, I can put one out Thursday, but there wouldn't be much t- to talk about. That is kind of my free day in terms of the Metro's play late at night. So I could have an entire day to prepare for the game and put out a podcast as well, which is what I did today. Um, But Friday, I have work at the golf course in the morning. Maybe we'll put one out Friday afternoon or Friday evening. I'd say between Friday and Monday, you should look for me with Go Be Great episode 11. We will recap, I guess, the all-star game. Maybe talk about some of the news from the NFL uh, reporting to camp this week. And once again, I want to thank you guys all for tuning in and go be great.